All right. So uh, for those of you just coming in, uh, page 21, Biblical Church Discipline. We are picking up where we left off last week. Um, And this is a topic that most Christians don't want to talk about. Um, Not because it's, you know, like the scar on the face of Christianity or anything, but just because church discipline is not a pleasant thing. Uh, when we're talking about formal church discipline, it's, it's because someone has sinned and is unrepentant for their sin. Um, and it, it's not a pleasant thing for elders to go through. It's not a pleasant thing for members to go through but it's a necessary thing, uh, and we will, we will see that uh, today during this lesson. So what is the purpose for church discipline? Well, there are several, but the primary purpose for church discipline is to reclaim a sinning member. That's the goal, is to reclaim them to restore them back into fellowship uh, by their repentance. Another purpose is to deter others from similar offenses. That's why uh, pronouncements of church discipline uh, should be ordinarily made public. Uh, You need to be warned against uh, committing the sins that someone else has already committed. See the errors of their ways and the consequences of those actions and learn from them. Uh, And so when we pronounce censures of church discipline, uh, We do so not to just publicize what's going on in the church. We don't do it to uh, make the, the person under discipline look bad. We make those pronouncements publicly so as to deter you from making the same sin, from committing the same sins and being placed under the same discipline. Another purpose for church discipline is to maintain the honor of Christ and the purity and peace of his church. To allow a sinning member to continue in their sin is a mockery to Jesus Christ. And it's a mockery to his church. To allow a sinning member to continue in their sin threatens the purity and the peace of Christ's church. How do you think the mainline denominations like the Presbyterian Church uh, USA, how do you think that they got to the point that they are today? It was from not disciplining members who were bringing in these errant doctrines, who were bringing in false teachings, who were embracing sinful practices. Their lack of discipline led to where they are today, where now they are an apostate church. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the old I think it was the UPC, the Northern Presbyterian Church. Uh, They would not discipline those who were bringing in false teachings and heresies and and errant uh, sinful practices. But they did discipline the Orthodox men. Uh, Men like Machen... Uh, were disciplined by the church for supposedly threatening the peace of the church when all they were doing was fighting for the purity of it. 
Um, and so, you know, church discipline, when it's neglected in its rightful use, oftentimes gets abused in an unlawful use. Um, and so, that's why church discipline must be done according to the Word, according to the Scriptures, is to ensure that we're maintaining the honor of Christ, that we are upholding both the purity and the peace of the church, um, so that Christ would be glorified, so that the church would remain strong. And then another another. Uh, purpose for church discipline is to maintain the truth of the gospel and to avoid the wrath of God coming upon the church. And this one really goes hand in hand with the other one. Um, But here we see the focus is on maintaining the truth of the gospel. If we do not enact church discipline when necessary. If, if we allow a sinning member to continue in their sin unchecked, then we are functionally denying the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't, yeah, you've sinned, you're forgiven, but you can live however you want. The gospel of Jesus Christ requires repentance of sin. You must turn away from your sin and turn unto righteousness. And so you cannot continue living in that unrepentant sin. And to do so is to deny the gospel. And then there's that last section of this statement that I think we really need to remember. A purpose of church discipline is to avoid the wrath of God coming upon the church. Anytime church discipline is neglected, avoided, or abused, the wrath of God is poured out upon the church. Always. He enacts judgment upon the church for failing its duties in church discipline. And we can see that in many different churches, many different congregations, many different denominations the wrath of God will be poured out upon the church that neglects this uh, sacred duty. And one of the reasons for that is if you as the elders, we as the elders, um, do not uphold and promote the purity and peace of Christ's church, if we do not maintain the honor of Christ if we do not maintain the truth of the gospel, then God will make sure that either it happens through His judgment or, it, or the uh, sinful neglect does not continue by His righteous destruction. The Lord will tear down a church for failing in this area. I've seen it happen before. And so those are the purposes of church discipline. Um, If you notice, the, the purposes of church discipline, none of those purposes say it's to punish someone. Church discipline is not a punishment. It's not to shame anyone. It's not to make someone hate the church. Uh, Church discipline is not abuse. There's this 
mentality within our modern society today that anytime the church does something you don't agree with, it's called church hurt or spiritual abuse. And there is such thing as spiritual abuse, I agree. But that's not what church discipline is. Um, church discipline is a loving act that is has its primary purpose being to reclaim you from your sinful ways. And church discipline is one of the marks of a true church. The book of discipline uh, in our Constitution says a church which does not follow our Lord's commands regarding church discipline will certainly lose his blessing deteriorating more and more in doctrine and in life. Right there, that's a further explanation about God's wrath coming down upon a church that does not observe uh, or practice church discipline. Without this action, without this mark, a church is not a true church. And then there are other two marks, the right handling of the word and the uh, due administration of the sacraments. So historically, the Reformed churches have understood that unless there is the faithful preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the practice of church discipline, that that church is not a true church. Um, And so if we are to maintain our candlestick, if we are to ensure that Christ Jesus does not snuff out our candlestick, our lampstand, then we must uh, uphold this practice So how do we discipline? Discipline is not, uh, or discipline is part of making disciples. And so discipline is to lead the errant back to the straight and narrow path. It's not meant to be hurtful, though it can be painful. But it's meant to be restorative and to grant the blessings of further communion with Christ. I want you to think about in your own personal life and the times where you had fallen into sin and the Lord brought you back into His uh, paths of righteousness and how much greater appreciation you had for the Lord and for his works and for your salvation after you had been restored from uh, that um, descent into sin. And that's what church discipline is to do. You know, it's um, it's to draw you back unto Christ. And in drawing you back unto Christ, you you see the great redemption that you have in Him. The great salvation you have in Him. And it causes you to love uh, your Savior even more. Our book of discipline states, Discipline should be exercised with prudence, discretion, humility, and in full dependence upon the guidance of the Spirit of God with love for both the lawgiver and the lawbreaker. Now, this is uh, something that takes place on the session side uh, where the elders are the ones enacting church discipline. This is... Uh, the guidance, the model that we follow. 
that church discipline uh, should be done with prudence, discretion, humility, and dependence upon the Spirit. Um, it should not be something that is rushed into. But it's also something that should not be uh, unduly delayed. Uh, the severity of the sin dictates the urgency of the discipline. So, um, I know of one church that there was a man who was committing heinous sexual sins um, and it was brought to light and within two weeks the man was publicly excommunicated. And that was necessary. And an example, a biblical example to understand why that's necessary is 1 Corinthians 5 with the man who uh, was committing gross, uh, heinous sexual sins. Um, and Paul said to cast him out, to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. There was an immediate need to get him outside of the, the visible body uh, so that he could see the heinous nature of his sins. But then there are other situations that are less grievous, though all sin is wicked. But there are other things that are less grievous that the discipline process can go slower uh, making extra efforts to reach the errant uh, member. And so you may see discipline cases uh, that you're just now hearing about but may have been taking place for the last two years. And that's because the elders are behind the scenes working, trying to contact the people, trying to show them their need for repentance and how their, their actions are sinful. And it's not until it gets to a certain level that then it becomes public. Um, so there's a lot that goes behind the scenes in regards to church discipline. Yeah? I just wanted to put in a plug for my study on judges because it's a great example of what happens when discipline And the downward spiral you know, the Lord intervened and brought back, you know, they repented, they came back, but they just kept this downward spiral. Mm. And the end of the book of Judges is just horrid uh, to the two cases in the, at the end of it. Um, and it says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And if we leave people to do that in the church or in life in general, it's just a disaster. To do what is right in our own eyes. Uh, was it Nike said in the, the statement, just do it? Mm -hmm. That's a little bit like do whatever you want. Uh, it feels good, do it. I think there's another statement I've heard said. Um, no, that's not what we're after. And, and we talked about discipleship. And in the church, discipleship occurs in different ways. But one of the key ways, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is from the pulpit, where we learn what the Word teaches, thus saith the Lord. And we learn about our behavior and how to respond properly and in a godly way. So discipleship is an important part of discipline. And those little disciplines we get from the pulpit and from uh, interacting with other men and women Help, help keep us from having to bear bigger discipline hmm. in our lives as long as we pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you if you are a member of this church, you are constantly sitting under a form of discipline, and that is the preaching of the word 
Uh, because in the preaching of the word, if you recall from the sermon last week, there is uh, reproof, rebuke, and correction. Uh, and those things are aspects of discipline. You know, and so everyone sits under the discipline of the word. Uh, and like Bob said, that is, that is so key to uh, then avoiding greater discipline, formal discipline. You know, heed the, heed the words of the Lord uh, that's preached to you every week and uh, live according to his ways and do not fall into these, these, uh, these moments of grievous sin and then the greater discipline would, would not be necessary. Um, the vast majority of church members will never experience formal church discipline. And praise God for that. The vast majority of church members will only receive the discipline of the word and that is enough to instruct them in the ways that they should go. Um, and it's my prayer that no one ever has to go through formal church discipline. That you, just, everyone uh, lives their life in accordance to the word of God and uh, does not fall into... Uh, bouts of sin but church discipline is there for when it's necessary so what requires church discipline you know we talked about there there are different types of sins uh what what are the what are the things that requires church discipline our book of discipline states not everything displeasing to an individual is ground for formal disciplinary process. Offenses which require discipline are of three kinds. Heresy, disregard or violation of the moral law, uh, refusal to submit to the Lord in the teaching and government of, his ch of this church as being based upon the scriptures and described in substance in the Constitution of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and contempt for the courts of the church, refusal in case of need of correction in doctrine or life to respect the authority and discipline of the church. And then there are several scriptures that are listed there to show that this is our biblical understanding but disregard for or violation of the moral law is almost always going to be uh, what church discipline cases are, are concerning most of the time uh, those violations of the moral law of God can be brought up to the person. They can be confronted with it. And they see their sinful ways and they repent. And the brother is restored. And uh, it doesn't need to go any further. But there are times when it must go further because they do not repent of that sin. Um, some of the most common violations of the moral law of God that, that end up in uh, cases of church discipline are sexual immorality. Um, so infidelity, fornication, uh, pornography use, Used to drunkenness was a major sin within the church that would be disciplined very severely. Uh, thankfully, most people today understand the, the, the sinful nature of drunkenness. 
um, and it's not quite as prevalent in the church anymore. Uh, neglect of uh, the ordinance of the church. So violations of the fourth commandment, not coming to church. Uh, that is oftentimes one that, that gets uh, disciplined as well. But any violation of the moral law of God is grounds for church discipline. And in, the, in, in instances of church discipline, in cases of church discipline, when charges of sin are brought against you or against someone, the charges of sin are for violations of the moral law of God. Even, you know, it says that there are three, three kinds. Heresy, well, heresy uh, oftentimes is associated in formal charges with the violation of the first uh, commandment. And then there's a violation of the moral law of God. But then contempt of the courts. That is a violation of the fifth commandment because the courts are in authority over you. And your contempt for the courts is not rendering unto uh, that lawful authority that God has ordained the, the respect and honor that is due them. That's a violation of the fifth commandment. And so uh, that's why in acts of, in, in pronouncements of excommunication, oftentimes the minister, when they will pronounce excommunication, will say, this person has uh, been excommunicated for the sins of, and then list violations of the moral law. They don't usually give specifics unless it's necessary. Uh, so excommunicated for violations of the seventh commandment. Um, and then when it's necessary, they, they would give uh, further explanation. But that's what requires church discipline. It's not everything that offends you. It's not everything that you don't like. You know, just because you don't like something that I'm teaching or just because you don't necessarily agree with a practice that we as a session have uh, implemented here, it doesn't mean that it warrants you bringing charges against me to the presbytery. You can complain against an action of the synod or, or an action of the session to the presbytery, and that can be dealt with. But just because you don't agree with something that we do doesn't mean that you can bring charges against us. The presbytery will dismiss those charges in a heartbeat. Charges are. Oh, go ahead. We see at Presbyterian are just that. You know, I don't like how he parts his hair. Mm. Type, of, and that's being facetious. But you know, those type of complaints. Um, yeah. But charges of sin have to be just that. Charges of sin. You have to be able to point to the moral law of God and say. This brother has sinned in this way and has violated this law of God. And then that accusation of sin is brought to the session. Or if you want to make that accusation of sin against one of us at the session, you can bring that accusation of sin to the presbytery. But remember that process that we talked about earlier about when, when there is offense within the church. If you have not followed the Matthew 18 process 
and going to the brother who has offended you, brother or the sister who has offended you, who has sinned against you. If you've not followed that process, and then the second time gone to them with a witness prior to bringing that to the session, we will tell you, go back and follow the law of Christ. Because the law of Matthew 18 is necessary. It's not until you have gone to the, uh, to the center twice, once with witnesses, once by yourself, once with witnesses, that then you are to bring it to the church. And Presbytery and Synod has struck down appeals as well concerning stuff like this because the law of Matthew 18 has not been followed. So let's say, let's say the law of Matthew 18 has been followed. Uh, an accusation of sin has been brought to us as a session. And we are now instituting uh, the process of formal church discipline. What are those levels, the different uh, types of discipline that can occur? Well, there are five formal levels of discipline, and the wording of this section comes from our book of discipline. The first is admonition. This is the lightest degree of censure and is commonly used by the court in cases of neglect of duty. It consists of reproving the offender warning him of the danger of his course and charging him to be more faithful in his Christian life. The court may also make people under its oversight aware publicly of the fact uh, of the fact of and reason for the admonition. So an admonition is um, a warning against an erring brother continuing in that error. Um, and that's all that it is. And an admonition is not a continual censure of, of the church. So once an admonition has been pronounced, it's done. The, that, that person is not continuously under church discipline just because a sin, uh, just because an admonition has been made, but if repentance does not occur from that admonition, the discipline process can then continue. And the next next one is a rebuke, and this is a censure for a more aggravated sin and is commonly used by the court in cases of active transgression or of continued neglect of duty in spite of counsel. It consists of authoritative reproof in the name of Christ and a call for repentance and reformation of life. The court may also make the people under its oversight publicly aware of the fact of and a reason for the rebuke. So this is one step further than an admonition. An admonition is a warning. A rebuke is a calling out of the sin and calling them to repentance. These are done privately. And yes, these, these are often done privately. There, there are uh, public rebukes that can be made or public admonitions. Normally, public rebukes or public admonitions are done for public sins. Um, so, if if we were to let one of one of the members 
teach Sabbath school and they taught inerrant doctrine and the session confronted them about it and they refused to repent of that, then we could publicly uh, admonish them for that action and what they did and warn them against doing it again. And we would do that publicly because the action was public and the correction would need to be public especially if they were teaching errant doctrine. But oftentimes, admonition and uh, rebuke are private. Next is what's known as suspension. It's also referred to historically as lesser excommunication. This is the temporary exclusion from the privileges of church membership, including participation in the sacraments or from the exercise of ordained office or from both. This becomes necessary when members are guilty of gross sin or of persistent neglect. This censure shall be pronounced by the moderator in constituted court in the name of Jesus Christ. The court shall also make the people under its oversight aware publicly of the fact of and reason for the suspension. The lifting of suspension depends on evidence of repentance. Um, Now we are moving into greater censures. That's not to say that Uh, admonition and rebuke are not important. They are. And they should not be taken lightly. But now we are talking suspending someone from the privileges of church membership. Forbidding them to come to the Lord's table. Because there is evidence that we are not convinced that they are living, that they are repentant of their sins. We are not convinced that they are uh, heeding the counsel of the church. And as an act of protection against them, we will not let them partake of the elements of communion, lest they eat and drink damnation unto themselves. This is an act of mercy to not let them do this to themselves. Now, it may seem harsh. Who are you to say that I can't partake of communion? Well, the answer to that is the elders are those who the Lord has given authority over your soul. And if you notice in the, in the wording of this paragraph here, this explanation of suspension, there's a difference between it and rebuke and admonition in that this one says, this censure shall be pronounced by uh, the moderator in the court, and the court shall also make the people under the oversight aware. There are actions that must be taken with suspension that only may be taken for rebuke or admonition. Last week, we made the pronouncement of suspension against two members. In the week's and months leading up to that, you never once heard a pronouncement of admonition or rebuke. But we were obligated when we made the, made the pronouncement of suspension against them to do it publicly. Because our book of discipline requires it. That word shall means that it has to happen. Uh, suspension can only be lifted by the court that imposes the suspension. 
and it can only be lifted by evidence of repentance. So, if one of you were to be suspended from the privileges of church membership, you could not move and go to you know, uh, Southside RP Church and have Southside remove your suspension. Only the court that institutes the discipline can lift it. Um, and that, that includes when, you know, acts of appeal or uh, jurisdiction is assumed over certain cases. And a higher court uh, makes the pronouncement. If presbytery or synod enacts the censure of suspension against a member then only Presbytery or Synod, whichever one enacted it, can lift it. A local session cannot. And so that's important to remember that it is the court that enacts the discipline that can lift it. The next level of church discipline is what's called deposition. And that this is only for ordained officers, so elders and deacons. This is a the disciplinary removal of an ordained officer of the church from his office. It may also be accompanied by suspension from church privileges. This censure shall be imposed for serious offenses in doctrine or in conduct that obviously disqualify the person from for exercising office. The sentence shall be pronounced by the moderator in constituted court in the name of Jesus Christ. The court shall also make the people under its oversight aware publicly of the fact of and repentant and reason for the suspension. When a teaching elder is deposed, the court shall promptly, normally within seven days, notify in writing the clerks of all presbyteries of the church and the clerk of synod, a person suspended or deposed shall, upon his request, be granted a letter of standing, which shall include the grounds upon which the censure was imposed. So this is for heinous sins again, uh, that was committed by an officer of the church. That's, that's either uh, errant doctrine, so teaching uh, doctrine so obviously contrary to the law and order of the church, uh, something like uh, teaching women elders, uh, teaching uh, Arminianism, teaching against the Lord's Day, uh, sanctifying the Lord's Day. Those are, those are doctrines, those are teachings which, if promoted, if taught, can result in deposition for going against the doctrine, uh, discipline, and teaching of the church. Uh, or it could be for conduct that is obviously disqualifying of an officer. A pastor has an affair. Obviously disqualifies him because he is no longer uh, the husband of one wife. He is an adulterer, and he has brought shame upon the Church of Christ, and he must be deposed. Who's noticed that this is a public thing, and it's public to the point where it's known by the denomination and by other denominations within our affiliations? 
and I say it that way because we don't have a formal means of informing the OPC about something, but we also are friends, friendly enough with them that if they fail to ask about someone's status, then shame on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know, we, we should we, we, we should be communicating these things. Um, we've, we've, we've run into problems within other denominations that don't share this information, like the Southern Baptist Church has really run into problems with this uh, because they don't share information. So someone who is having an affair in one building goes to a different building and he's they don't know about it. And he starts over again mm -hmm. and, and, and creates problems. So it, it at least is somewhat public. Now, if he goes to a Pentecostal church, for example, then there's probably, you know, he can lie and cheat and steal because he's already good at that probably. <laughs> um, but um, it is a, it's a public thing. And the objective, of course, is to prevent this person from showing up in another church and assuming some type of authority, mm. even within another denomination. Because there is, especially in the Austin Church, there's communication that goes back and forth between the different bodies. Uh, papers, if, if someone's going from the, the RPC and the OPC, there are papers that they have to bring with them. They have to, it, it, his, 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 his problems are going to Mm. And we, I say this because there's, I, I, I think it helps to know that, that someone who's, who's having gross moral issues here or at another church couldn't just show up here un unknown. Um, it's, it's highly unlikely. Yeah. yeah. Um. And it's important to note when we're talking about deposition from office that deposition from office can occur even when the man is repentant. Um, so someone who is disqualified from the office that they hold must be deposed even if they're repentant of their sin. So a pastor who has an affair has committed what's called a scandalous sin. He can be repentant of it. And we pray that he is. But he can never hold church office again because he has committed what's known as a scandalous sin. And he's disqualified himself. He's no longer above reproach. Um, this is something that a lot of people don't grasp. That just because someone is repentant doesn't mean they have to get fully restored to the position that they once held. A man can be repentant and never be permitted to hold office again. Uh, moving on, I want to finish up this section. We're almost done. The final level of formal discipline is excommunication, or what's historically been known as greater excommunication. This is the disciplinary exclusion of a member from the visible church. It should be imposed only for such malignant errors or persistent violations of God's law as are grossly inconsistent with the Christian profession of faith or subversive to the doctrine and order of Christ's church. All possible efforts should first be made to bring the sinner to repentance. Before excommunication is pronounced, a valid attempt should be made by the court to inform the offender of the pending action. Excommunication shall be pronounced by the moderator in constituted court in the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer shall be offered to God for mercy and repentance. The court shall make the people 
under its oversight aware publicly of the fact of and reason for the excommunication. Members should then relate to the person as one who is outside of the visible church and in need of repentance and salvation. This is the point where uh, because of continued unrepentance, the person is declared to not show evidence of being one who is regenerate, who is in Christ, and they are declared outside of the visible church, meaning that there is not evidence that they are a Christian. This is what, uh, in Matthew 18, Christ describes as treating them as a uh, heathen and a tax collector. They're to be treated as any other unbeliever. Now, how do we treat unbelievers? Do we shun them? Do we not let them come inside our doors? Do we act like we don't love them? No. We plead with unbelievers to come unto Christ. We show love for them because of their being made in the image of God and our, uh, our concern for their soul. And that's how we should treat the excommunicated uh, person. Yes, they're no longer a member of the church. Yes, they have been declared to be uh, an unbeliever. But we're to still love them. We're still to still welcome them through those doors. We're to still uh, call them unto repentance. Uh, because that is how... Uh, they may be restored back into the fold. Because remember, the primary purpose of church discipline is to uh, restore the errant member. It's to reclaim the sinner. One reason uh, discipline is not exercised in unbiblical uh, church government uh, it's because they they don't have the structure set up for it you know you mentioned the SBC there's issues going on in the SBC uh, right now concerning errant doctrines the practice of ordaining women Uh, and so there are issues But the SBC, it doesn't have courts. And so you can bring a complaint against a congregation or against a pastor, and the SBC can hear it, but they can't act discipline. They can't enact discipline because they're not a court. The only court in a Baptist church is the local session, the local elders. But Presbyterianism provides the means to be able to exercise church discipline to its fullest extent. There there are so many levels of oversight that church discipline, when it goes wrongly, can easily be corrected. I have seen presbyteries overrule the actions of a, of a session because the session was wrong in enacting discipline the way that they did. And so that, that kind of Checks and balances is only found in Presbyterianism. 
So what are your rights in the church? As a member of the church, you have rights. And one of those rights is you have a right to appeal to the broader courts. Book of Discipline 5.1 says, The Presbyterian form of government provides for a gradation of courts whereby the lower is answerable to the higher. A decision of a lower court is subject to review and correction by a higher court. Any member of the church may carry his case through the lower courts, even to the highest court for adjudication. That's a, that is a right that is given only to members in the church. And then another right is as a member, as a communing member of the church, you have a right to vote for your officers, for your pastors, for your elders, for your deacons. Um, so you have a say in the government over you to an extent. Um, and so that is uh, another right that is only afforded to members. So here's a reminder at the bottom concerning discipline. Uh, it would be wise for you to begin reading the Constitution of the RPCNA so that you might be able to take that oath, that vow, that the government of this church is based on the Scripture as defined uh, or as described in the Constitution of the RPCNA. Know what it is that you're vowing to. Know that it is uh, that you can truly take that vow that it is based on the Scriptures. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with it 100%. But you have to submit to it. You don't have to agree to every bit of it, but you must believe that it is based on Scripture and that you will not take a divisive course of action against it as members of the congregation. Any questions or comments real quick about uh, our practice of church discipline? You were going through the different levels of church discipline. There were about five of them. There was admonition, rebuke, and so on, until excommunication. Uh, what would you say the qualities are in gradation of, of these uh, church discipline matters? Are they of, of higher nature moving to a more public stance? You have members and they're moving on to elected officials of the church, like the elders? Or how would you describe this uh, gradation? Uh, so the discipline, any, any sin worthy of discipline, any violation of the law of God can begin at admonition and increase all the way to excommunication through continued neglect of duties and unrepentance. Um, depending on the severity of the sin and also who is committing the sin, steps of church discipline can be skipped. Uh, so if, if it becomes known that a member is having an affair, very likely we're going to skip admonition and rebuke. Or if Bob gets arrested for a DUI, then very likely we're going to skip admonition and rebuke and probably hold a trial for deposition. Uh, for officers of the church, Any, any act of discipline, any level of discipline for an officer above rebuke 
must have a trial. For members, it doesn't have to happen. Um, now, it, it could be wise to have a trial for any, any uh, level of discipline above rebuke, but it's not required by our Constitution. Um, if you're going through all these processes and the person who you are, are, are trying to reach out to, trying to re- reclaim, uh, you know, you sent them letters of admonition, you sent them letters of rebuke, you sent them a letter of suspension, and, and there's, there's not any evidence of repentance, there's no making contact with you again, uh, basically what they are doing is they are not contesting the charges that are against them and so you don't have to have a trial. Now, anytime a person contests the charges, a trial must take place. It's basically them, them pleading not guilty. Um, and even if, even if they contest the charges, but then choose not to show up to the trial... Because they've contested the charges, the trial must go on, and they're tried in absentia, in their absence. Um, Which is never a good thing, because you're not able to make your defense. Um, And to not show up when the court has summoned you is contempt of the court which is also a disciplinable offense. You know, just like when, uh, if the state of Illinois sends you a uh, jury duty summons, you are required to come to jury duty, unless there's a valid reason which they accept. But you're required. Or, better yet, if you get a speeding ticket and you have a court date, and you haven't paid your fine for the speeding ticket to just take care of it that way, but instead you're to go to court, if you don't show up for court, then a bench warrant for your arrest has been is issued. That's how it is with the courts of the church. If you don't show up when you've been summoned by the court of Christ church, then you are held in contempt of the court. Um, Then likely a second summons will be made. And if you don't show up then, uh, that's when you're tried in your absence and the verdict is is read. Uh, But the levels of church discipline aren't unique to specific sins or to specific people. The only one that's unique to a specific person is deposition from office. All the other ones, any violation of the moral law of God that is left unrepentant and any person within the church can experience any of those levels of church discipline. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Any other questions or comments, Roman? Uh, So, let's say someone does contest the charge and there's a trial. Are all the trials no, uh, so trials can be conducted in either a public manner or in what's called executive session, which means only elders would be able to be present. Um, so it could be that, that a trial is done publicly and people can come and sit and, and witness the trial, but it, usually trials are conducted... Uh, privately, maybe not in executive session, but like we don't announce to the congregation, hey, there's a trial coming up on Wednesday if anyone wants to come. It's not like a public hanging. Huh? It's not like a public hanging. Yeah. <laughs> that, that analogy, but I just couldn't resist. <laughs> Any, anything else? No, we've gone a little bit long. Yeah. I really like the the reasons or the purposes for church discipline because I know it could seem like 
sounds a bit extra, you know, but like you said, it really is a mercy from God for mm-hmm. the person's own good. So, one of the Yeah, church discipline is a means of grace. It is a means by which Christ Jesus draws men unto himself. And we have to remember that. And that's why it's such a heinous thing to neglect church discipline. Because you're neglecting a means of grace. All right. Richard, can I get you to close us in prayer? Yeah.